Hey, how you doing? My name is Luke Such. I'm Scott Meinema. And this is the Headwaters Church Podcast. Today, we are both giving our own personal testimonies. We're told maybe we need to give a little bit more in-depth introduction of ourselves. So that's what we're doing today. Yeah. And uh, maybe, to, maybe to get us started, you know, one of the things that I think about when uh, I talk about giving a testimony is, I mean, we we see it even in, in kind of an outline from Paul in, in Acts as he's given his testimony. There seems to be three parts, right? There's a a before Christ, here's my life before Christ, here's how I came to know Christ, and then the third part is, here's the difference that Christ has made in my life. So obviously God's the hero of the story, I'm not the hero of my story, but God is. Great. Uh, who start? I think you're going first. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, hold on. Let, let me just give some back talk so you get your uh, chatter in the background so Scott can take another drink of his coffee. It is in morning time. Uh, and we're, we're working on waking up because we are still in the, the lull of daylight saving, at least when we're recording this. Yeah. Yeah. Fog. Fog. Daylight that's, savings. That's the, the, why do we do this? I have no idea. Well, I have small children, and it's just an absolute train wreck. Anyhow, uh, enough of that. Scott, uh, <laughs> tell me, uh, I like your, your three parts before, how you came to know Christ, what's the difference now? Uh, what is? I, I'm going to learn things here. I don't know that I have a lot of particulars on your uh, faith journey, so yeah. let me know. Well, I was fortunate to be uh, raised in a religious home. I don't know that I would call it a Christian home, but my parents uh, were certainly took us to church every, every Sunday, and it was a very religious home. And uh, But, you know, I was living my life for myself. I made a profession of faith. We, uh, we started going to a, a different church when I was in junior high and we made, I made a profession of faith. And, uh, but I would have to say, you know, as I look back on that, uh, I continue to live my life for myself. I, I think in part, um, Jesus was my savior. I didn't want to go to hell. Yeah. Um, but the idea of him being my king, my Lord, him having rule over my life. I continued to be the king of my life and the rule of my life. And um, went to uh, went to Bible college for a few years and then returned home, um, got married, uh, began to have a family. And again, in the church, um, I was teaching teaching Sunday school, and but living my life for myself. Everything was, was about me, my glory, my kingdom, mm. um, the praise of my name. And... Uh, it was probably early 30s that, um, ironically, I was studying through the book of James, and I was memorizing. Um, a friend had um, encouraged me to be memorizing, and uh, so I, you know, I wanted to be, I wanted to please him, and and so I began memorizing, and I got to James chapter two, and where James, uh, and then. Um, when James in verse fourteen talks about what good is my brother if you have faith and you don't have works, and uh, yep. and it was you know even in that the Lord began to really open my heart and and the in verse nineteen he says you believe that God is one uh, almost sarcastically so what yeah even the demons believe and tremble and I th- and that was what the Lord used to draw me to Himself uh, it, it occurred to me that. My faith was that of the demons. It was very similar. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no one this side of the grave who has a better um, knowledge of Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection than demons. They know that's true. Yeah. And yet, that was me. I believed in that he's 
historical facts, but he was never my king. Mm. And um, it was really at that point that change really began to happen. And uh, and so um, at that point, uh, Christ became my king. And instead of, you know, there began to be real transformation um, as far as what I was living for, um, what my aspirations were. And uh, it was at the, you know, at the same time as, as Lord's providence would have it, that we were, um, we were in a great church. We were being uh, trained theologically. Um, in a few short years, I was exposed to um, what came known to me as biblical counseling, and I finally was faced with this is, I finally figured out what I want to do when I grow up. And uh, you were how old? Uh, forty yeah, by this, yeah, by right this about, point, right about the right time. Yeah, and uh, and so um, we were at this point. We were living in uh, we were living in Lafayette, Indiana. We had moved there for my uh, for my job, and and uh, but I went to my pastor and I said, I want to, you know, I want to go into full time ministry and I want to do biblical counseling. And he says, Well, you probably need to go to seminary. Nobody's going to hire you if you don't go to seminary. And so I thought, oh, okay, I better go to seminary. So we were working full-time and and uh, and started seminary. And, uh, and Janelle and I went together. And in fact, we we kind of went through all of our, our training and development together. And then partway through seminary, uh, decided to, you know, I just thought maybe somebody would hire me. And so I started uh, looking for churches and uh, kind of to fast forward everything. Um, that's how we, we ended up going into full-time ministry. There was a church in Albuquerque, New Mexico that, um, again, by, as Providence goes, decided, yeah. We, yep. And uh, so that's kind of, that's the Reader's Digest version of uh, how we how we came to Christ. But it's, uh, you know, uh, huge, huge different. I, I look, sometimes I, you know, day by day, I look at, at my, at, my faith journey, and, and and I think, oh Lord, you know, um, not growing as quickly. I'm not, mm. and and yet, um, someone had encouraged me to look instead of looking at it kind of day by day, you know, look at it in five or ten year increments. And uh, man, when I look over my shoulder, God has been so good and so faithful. And you know, Philippians two talks about that He who began a good work in you will will complete it, and He has been faithful to. Um, conform us into the image of Christ, and uh, we're just, we're grateful for um, His calling on our life and uh, to be a part of, you know, what He's doing. Sure. All right. Couple, local church. couple questions that I, when I'm sitting here listening to this. Are they easy? I think so. Okay. No hard <laughs> questions. This well, I, I, the first one's uh, not much of a, a question, by the way. I, I appreciate when you frame that, the the clarity of salvation, that faith is not an intellectual assent to a set of facts, right? Yeah. Right, that, you know, you had a, a concept of biblical doctrine that was severed from a heart of submission to Christ. Mm. And so, I mean, the clarity there as to what is actually happening in salvation, and um, sometimes I think we overplay the set of facts side of that. I, I, I don't know. How do you feel about that? Yeah, no, that? I, and I think that's part of why I'm maybe hypersensitive to, I, I think our churches, I don't have any church in mind when I say this, but I sure. think our churches are filled with people like myself who believe in these historical facts. I right, mean, they believe, right. and, and yet 
um, they continue to live lives for them, their life for themselves. They're the king of their life. They're the lord mm-hmm. of their life. And uh, and th- there hasn't been a real change at the level of the heart. Yeah. And salvation, faith in Christ, has believe in it. So I'm not suggesting that when we talk about having faith, it doesn't mean believe. It does mean believe. It starts its birth with believe, but it's so much bigger. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 believe, but it's trust and hope and depend and rely, and then that that word that you know we that obey. You know, we, we that's that's a big part of it. And and I see that in Hebrews 11. You know, with every one of those examples, there is a believe. But it's not just believe in these, you know, yeah. that God exists. It be, there's a trust, a hope, a dependence, trust that leads to obedience. Yes, you can't. Yes. It's almost impossible to try to sever the two things. Yeah, and yep. yeah, when you yeah. look at the whole counsel, the biblical instruction on salvation, there's no such thing as belief apart from obedience, and there's no such thing as obedience apart from belief. Like they're always coupled together. Yeah, obedience apart from belief is is an attempt to earn something, right? I mean. Works-based salvation. On the other side of that, belief apart from obedience is just like like we're saying an intellectual assent. You have relationally both feet firmly planted in midair. You have no actual grounding in your relationship. You just have an intellectual side of things. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So, uh, second question: When I hear that, where was your wife in terms of faith? You say I, you know, I was teaching Sunday school and kind of had a a head faith that wasn't really a whole life heart faith. How did Janelle respond in the midst of that transition, or or where was she in her faith journey? Yeah, I think you know, and that's uh, she would have you know, she gives her her testimony. She came to Christ um, again at a at an earlier age uh, in in junior high, high school. Yep. Um, but she went through some difficult times in her early twenties that I think she would point to and say, this is really where the relationship with Christ was, was mm-hmm. birthed. Um, she might say, and in some, I've, I've said this, I'm not really sure when that transaction took place, when, yeah. when I became a Christian. I, again, I can tell you that I know, and I think she would say for her, it was in those early 20s when she was going through some deep waters, that that was really when the relationship with Christ became real. It became yep. a relationship. Yep. Yeah, I'm not certain. I'd have to think about the. Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking out loud now, so this is, that's part of the danger the, this, of doing yeah, this sort of thing. This will be good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, the the overemphasis in evangelicalism on a moment of conversion, right? Um, and I understand why. Like, historically, I understand why. Even when you look at biblically, you, you, I mean, you look at Damascus Road type experiences. Um, I'm I'm not sure that's normative. Hmm. Um, again, I'm thinking out loud, no, so, so it's, it's an interesting thought, right? Like, if you look at, I mean, particularly defining the word evangelical is notoriously difficult. But if you are going to do it, there's one, Jonathan Bebbington's evangelical quadrilateral. One of the four things in the quadrilateral that he defines as evangelicalism is a moment of conversion. Hmm. Like, evangelicals have a really high emphasis on conversion experience, and and I, I get it. There's there's reasons why. I'm not certain if we have a good hand of cards, but we've overplayed it on that. Yeah. I think one of, you're, you're absolutely right. I agree. And, and one of the dangers that that come out of that perhaps is that, again, we have, I would argue, we have 
folks in our churches that tend to put their trust not in the finished work of Christ, but their trust is in the date they prayed a prayer yeah. or yep. the prayer that they prayed. And, and, and that's, that's just, that's not biblical salvation. Sure. That's not, I, that ends up being work-based Mm-hmm. In many ways, because I'm putting my trust in, well, I prayed this prayer, and yes. here's the date, and I remember the date because somebody told me to memorize the date. The truth is, I, I really don't know when I was converted, but I do know when the, as James talks about, the evidence began yeah, to, yeah. the fruit, right, began to dim, be demonstrated. No, I think that's a good a good distinction on the, what are you actually placing your faith in? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was Alistair Pick who, like, if if your answer ever starts with the first person, like you, you've you've already <laughs> right. missed something. Like it's not that I pray or I did this at this time. It's the work of Christ came to me, right? Like it, I am the passive participant in this. The the Spirit gave grace to change my heart before I did anything. Mm. And and I like a, a robust biblical theology of understanding salvation is going to grapple with some of those things. And you say, this isn't a like, oh, I prayed this prayer, therefore God has to accept me. Oh, we've we've got a long way to go in understanding salvation if that's how we are framing that reality. And there's just not a very good understanding there. That's right. Yeah. So what's your story of Yep. Coming to Christ, how did uh, how did God work in your life? Yeah, uh, my dad is the pastor here at Headwaters Church. He has been for thirty five years. I'm thirty four years old, so my whole life has been, in many ways, uh, the church formerly known as Wallen Baptist Church, now uh, doing business as Headwaters Church. I grew up there in a parsonage when a parsonage was a thing. And if you if you don't know, go fun have fun looking that word up. It's a, it's a good one, archaic. Um, but I grew up in a little brick house next to the little brick church and, uh, you know, very familiar pastor's kid story. I was there every time, all the time and didn't know any different. And I, I frequently get asked about like, how do you feel about being a pastor's kid? And I'm an, I'm a pastor now and I have four kids that are living in, in, in many ways, similar experiences, but in some different, um, I I don't know what to say about that. It's all I've ever known. I don't have a compare and contrast. I only have the one life of of being a pastor's kid and being involved in it. It has ups and downs, like like most things. There's trade-offs. You gain something, you lose something. So be it. Um, in terms of personal faith, my and we just talked about conversion moments. Uh, I, I was seven years old when I prayed a prayer, and uh, I, I would point to that as a, a heart change moment. But, you know, I was seven years old and had been in church my whole life. I wasn't stealing tricycles at six and just turned it around at seven. You know, this wasn't a, this wasn't a giant, oh, man, let, let's get off the, uh, the, the life of licentiousness and, and sin. Uh, it, it was a, a story of the faithfulness and faith of parents and of a faith community that I, I think we don't oftentimes don't give enough credit for um, in a variety of ways. Um, but I, I grew up in the church, had a conversion moment very early, um, and I have, so in, in many ways, the rest of my story are, are big moments of sanctification, of, of leaps of sanctification, if you will. 
Um, you know, sanctification oftentimes just slow, gradual process, but there are often also within that gradual process moments that I can point to to say like, oh, I was I was pushed forward by the Holy Spirit in a unique way in this instance. So a couple of those, um, I wanted to get baptized. Oh, a couple years after I got saved, and I asked my dad, you know, I want to get baptized, and he asked me why, and I said, because my older brother was getting baptized, and he said, no, you're not allowed to, and that terrified me of baptism. Uh, from that point on, I was scared that I was going to have the wrong reason for it, and uh, then I was really embarrassed that I had my younger brother got baptized before me. I, I very distinctly remember uh I don't know that I've ever admitted this publicly or even privately. The, the day that my younger brother got baptized, I pretended to be sick. So I didn't have to be there at church that morning to be embarrassed. I felt like everyone in the church was looking at me like, why Why haven't you been baptized yet? Um, so I, I pretended to be sick, but my mom was not going to stay home with me. So she put me in the van and left me in the church parking lot to go watch my younger brother. Get now baptized. she knows. Now she knows. I have finally admitted this is a 25 years late. But my, my younger brother got baptized before me. I was uh, a, I don't know, freshman, junior, uh, sophomore in high school when I finally decided, uh, you know, I, I've waited long enough. I've been a believer, and I've been embarrassed about this. And if I take my Bible seriously, I'm, I'm going to obey. And so I got baptized then. That was a, a, a significant moment for me in my faith journey. I had another similar, and a couple of years later, you know, I was... Uh, nearing the end of high school, and they ask you that awful question that everyone asks, what do you want to do with your life? And I don't know why we ever expect any 17-year-old to know the answer to that question. Um, but I had always, I'm very good at dodging things, so I'd been able to successfully dodge that question in any substantive way, um, but was pushed on it a couple times, and I you know, actually stopped to think. And I, I was very serious about faith in, in most every way. Um, and I was looking at John chapter six, uh, which is the, the feeding of the 5,000. And then there's a crowd following after Jesus. And he tells them, you're here just because you want to see more signs. Right. And, you know, after all that, he tells them, eat my flesh and drink my blood three times, which isn't a very nice thing to say to a lovely Jewish crowd. At the end of that, they say, this is a hard teaching. Who can understand it? They all turn and walk away. And John six sixty seven, Jesus turns to the 12 and says, you don't want to leave also, do you? And Peter responds, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. To whom else shall we go? And I, I remembered looking at that and saying, I, I've claimed I believe this, and I, I do. What would my life look like if this is true? What, what would I do with my years of existence if I believed these are the words of eternal life? And uh, for me, I'm not at all suggesting this is what everybody should do with that conclusion, but I wanted to give my life to ministry to whatever degree that I possibly could. Um, so this becomes a point of, of tension for a lot of people. I, I don't think about pastoral calling in the way that traditionally people talk about it. It's like, oh, I, I don't have an audible moment from God. I don't have a, I, I've been a, a strong feeling I've been called to preach. Or, or a lot of times when people talk about preaching, yeah, I see, yeah, see I got eyebrows up right there. Um <laughs> Uh, when people talk about preaching, they're like, well, if you could do anything else, go do something else because you're, you, you should only preach God's word if that's all you can do. I don't, I don't feel that way. I feel like I could do other things if I needed to. What I feel is a, a very strong conviction to be faithful with what God has brought me. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, that has led me to lots of different things. Originally, I thought it was going to be music, and I pursued that for a little bit and um, ended up doing a degree in theology because I found a lot of music people lacking in their depth, and they had a lot of stage presence, but not a lot of uh, biblical grounding, and I, I didn't want to be that. And so I went to do some theology stuff uh, and fell in love with history in a lot of ways and was given a couple opportunities to speak and found that I, I was capable at it and it didn't daunt me in the way that it did a lot of other people and started pursuing some of those opportunities. And again, all, all of it was really just what, what is God bringing me and will I be faithful with the opportunities? And, and that's brought me a long way through being a youth pastor. I got married during that time. Um, my wife and I have had four kids at this point. Went back. Uh, I moved out to Oregon for a little bit where I was a youth pastor. Came back to the Midwest for graduate school and had an opportunity to plant a church through Wallen at the time. And uh, uh was it was a very gracious place to be a young pastor. I was I think when I look at my own pastoral approach or approach is probably the wrong word uh, capabilities. I, preaching is something that I have a little bit of a natural knack for and have spent a lot of time thinking and reading and, and writing on. The rest of the pastoral elements uh, in caring for people, visitation, uh, prayer has been something that I've been learning a lot about in the last three to five years. Um, but I, I think I had a lot of growth that it needed to happen and had a very gracious environment for a small church that allowed me to, uh, I don't want to say stumble my way through it, but let's, let's call that what it is. <laughs> stumble my way through. I, you know, I wasn't always very, very, uh, refined in, in those aspects of pastoral work. So, uh, in terms of big moments of sanctification as well, I mean, getting married and having children, I don't think I knew how selfish I was until I got married. And then I thought, mm. I've got this down. And then I had kids and I thought, oh, oh, I don't. I'm more selfish than I ever knew that I was. And uh, when I think about difference, man, God has has shown, I, I'd, I'd be with you where I go, man, has anything changed? And then I'd look back at like something that I wrote five, seven years ago. Oh, oh yeah, I think God's grown me. <laughs> Never mind. I don't, I don't need to ask that question. Um, but it, it's been a journey of uh, slow, consistent, a call to faithfulness, and I don't, I don't, not at all suggesting I've perfectly uh, heeded that call. Um, but I, I, in terms of my own thinking, it's a question of: Are you going to be faithful with God brings to you? Mm-hmm. Okay. A couple quick questions. Go for you it. know, you mentioned uh, sanctification. Yep. Just you know, for for those of us that may um, not really be clear on the idea of the doctrine of sanctification, or specifically progressive sanctification. Yep. Can you just kind of take a minute and then define that? And then I have a follow-up question with yep. regards to that. I think the easiest definition is becoming more like Jesus. So sanctification is, right, it's not a moment, it is a a process. So I am justified, I am declared righteous before the Almighty God at salvation, and then immediately begin a process of becoming more like Christ. So in behavior and holiness, personal holiness, it's a, a, a ongoing process of becoming more like Christ. So so that process of becoming more like Christ, yeah. the second question, you mentioned, you know, I thought I was a pretty good guy, my word's not yours, but I thought I was a pretty good guy until I got married and had yeah. kids. Yeah. Can, just what are your thoughts on, you know, the idea of the, the marriage relationship, uh-huh. the parenting relationship, and... You know, is that is that a 
a tool that God uses in the sanctification toolbox? I mean, you think that's... or, or No doubt about it. Um, it may be, in many ways, the primary tool that yeah. God uses. I mean, there obviously, He uses the Word. He uses the indwelling Spirit. He uses the community of faith. And all those things are true and necessary and uh, required in so many ways. I... I learned so much about my sinfulness by getting married because I, I didn't know how much I thought my life was mine. And and then all of a sudden I added somebody else who I gave a claim to every moment of my life. And I thought, oh man, I, <laughs> I, I don't think I realized how frustrating it is to now have to consider someone else. I, and I, I mean... I, I just couldn't, I couldn't grapple with it. And, and that was so much lesser, you know, like that was true and difficult in a marriage relationship, but she was, Lauren's very capable of caring for her own self. When you then add a child to it, who I now, again, add a, another person who I give a claim to every moment of my life, but they have no capability whatsoever. Um, again, it was a, a shocking realization of like, there, there's not one moment of my existence that is mine at this point. Yeah, there's nothing like marriage and parenting to show you the ugliness of your own heart, right? It reveals, it's just a giant mirror that goes, oh man, I've got so much growth I need to work on. Yeah. But it was good, yeah. So as we, uh, as we think about wrapping up here, a couple, of, uh, a couple of questions just to kind of draw this to a conclusion. For if somebody is struggling with, you know, am I truly a Christ follower or mm-hmm. not? Maybe, do I, am I just believing in a bunch of historical facts? Has there really been a, a change? What would be some questions that uh, that you might ask someone or that someone could ask themselves to really begin to, you know, evaluate? Usually, and I, I'd be curious to hear how you think about this from a counseling perspective. When someone comes into my office or we sit down after a service, they're like, I I'm just, I'm feeling convicted. I don't know that I'm, you know, I'm not following Christ the way that I should. And I go, isn't that awesome? That's just so great, isn't it? And they look at me really confused. The Holy Spirit is working in you right now. Like conviction doesn't show up apart from the Spirit, Yeah. right? So like just that in and of itself, the like the tension. The fact that you're questioning. That, that is an immense sign to you that the Spirit is working. Yeah. And, and as it should now. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore that tug, right? That if, as soon as you start callousing your own conscience to the work of the Spirit, like now, now it's hard to to soften yourself again. Mm-hmm. Um, so just that in and of itself, uh, the question is something that I want to celebrate and, and say, oh, great. Uh, now let's think about what things the, the Spirit is, is telling and showing you in regards to that. Um, but I, I think the first thing is to is to celebrate and help sometimes people see that the spirit's working. Would you? I don't know how yeah, do you feel. No, no, no. I I agree. Yeah, I see um, that. In, I see that in First John. I mean, First John just there's so many there's so many um, uh, evidences in First John of mm-hmm. how to evaluate yourself. Sure. In in light of that, am I truly am I truly a Christ follower? Yeah. Some of the other things that I I try to think about when that question comes up. Um, is is this a, a doctrinal concern? So for some people, they're so burdened by the weight of their sin. You can go either way on this, right? You can you can fall into a a an overemphasis in freedom or an overemphasis in guilt on either side of this. Some people are 
are their their conscience is screwed on too tight and and they are so burdened and guilty by every every moment of of brokenness that is still in their lives and they think there's no i i just can't and and i want to look at them and say you're doubting the good hand of god what what you're doubting is that god is able to overcome the weight of your sin mm-hmm. so there at, at some level potentially depending on the person that may be what is at play, right? This this struggle to uh, have confidence in faith is really a a lack of trust in God. You have too too small of a view of God, so there may be that. Um, now there may be some actual concerning realities in someone's life to say, I've I've got this ongoing habitual sin and. Uh, I don't know what to do with this. I'm, I'm doubting of my own salvation as a result of it. And again, I want to point to the sensitivity of the Spirit is a mark that that's not happening. Let's start moving towards, all right, what is, how, do, how do we address this? And as long as somebody is willing to come in and say, I want to grow, I want to change this, how, how can you do it? I, I'm going to point to that as actual fruit. The mm-hmm. desire to grow is evidence of the Spirit's presence. It's evidence of a fruit that marks a believer. So I think a, a few things there. What else would you yeah, add to no, that? that's good. Uh, I don't know that I'd add anything that would be extremely helpful. I guess there, there's two questions I tend to ask, maybe three. One is, um, tell me about your relationship with Christ. It's mm-hmm. interesting, you know, again, going back to just what people are trusting in, but but if, if, I, if I asked you to describe your relationship with Lauren, yeah. you, you would... You would begin to talk about, you'd answer that in terms of relationship. Yeah. When when you ask someone, tell me about your relationship with Christ, if the only response is, well, I, I do these things and I don't do those things, mm. whatever that might be, sure. that tends to be perhaps evidences of just legalism, wor- legalism yeah. work-based salvation. I'm always looking for a response that is in terms of relationship. So even as I evaluate that myself, tell, you know, Scott, tell me about your relationship with Christ. Do I describe it in terms of relationship? Hmm. Second question kind of as a follow-up is what difference has that relationship made? I mean, I can, if you ask me, you know, tell me about your relationship with Janelle and what difference has that relationship made? I, I think I could answer that in terms of a relationship, yeah. relationship yeah. language. If I'm in a relationship with Christ, I should be able to think in terms of relationship. Third question is just what is the gospel? That's always if I'm if I'm talking with someone and I'm curious, do they really truly understand the gospel? I, those those can be, I think, evidences of uh, which is a tricky one because as we talk, this isn't an ascent to a set of facts. Mm-hmm. That being said, uh, for you to actually have a changed heart. <laughs> There needs to be some understanding of your own sinfulness and the grace of God, right? Yeah. I mean, like those two things at a minimum, you say, can I have a changed heart without realizing that I'm sinful? I don't know that you can. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a prerequisite, yeah. as we, we've talked about this previously. Repentance is required. To have repentance, you have to recognize sinfulness, yeah. right? Uh, and so like the dependence on God in relationship comes with some... Uh, relational realities that that are at least adjacent, probably overlapping with some doctrinal realities. Yeah. Well, this is a good discussion, and we could go on. Um, you get final word. Any uh, any last thoughts as we uh, as we wrap this up? Uh, I'm 
overjoyed that the gracious hand of God has been in my life and has been since I was born. I am immensely fortunate and I'm thrilled to be able to, I mean, as you're talking about, you know, growing and a desire to work in ministry, we have the best job. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a <laughs> great burden with it. I love this burden and, uh, hope I get to do it for a long, long time. And if God calls me somewhere else to be faithful in some other vocation, I'll try and go be faithful there. Uh, but until that day, I get to be here at Headwaters and try to say, what does faithfulness look like? And what, how do we open the word faithfully? How do we counsel faithfully? How do we live faithfully as husbands, as pastors? And so uh, in terms of thinking about testimony, I, I just have to start. The gracious hand of God has yeah. been on my life. I'm overjoyed with that reality, and uh, hopefully, ministry and life is a a outpouring of the overflow of the grace of God yeah. in my life. Yeah, that's good. All right, thanks for being here, Scott. It was uh, fun, and uh, we'll come back another time. <laughs> <laughs>